How we doing? We good? Good, man. Glad you're here. Really, really excited about this new series that we're starting today called Works of Art because it's going to highlight one of our objectives that we laid out earlier this year and end of last year as well as a part of our Multiply initiative. And in case you weren't here or you were and you just have forgotten because you've learned a lot of stuff since then, let me kind of recap quickly for you. But our vision as a church is to multiply to multiply at every level because God has said for us as a church in his scriptures to go and make disciples of all nations. So as a church, what we're saying is just highlighting the fact that we want to be a biblical church and we want to make disciples. And that is our, our mission of saying grow people. And we also want to multiply. And so we want to multiply disciple making. And in order to do that, we laid out five objectives last fall, and I've already preached through three of them this year, and I'm going to preach through the last two. But those five objectives are very simply this. First and foremost, spiritual development. Again, that is the concept of growing people. That is our way of saying make disciples. That is why our church exists. That is the mission of the church. And I don't get to decide that. You don't get to decide that. Jesus gets to decide that. And we're fond around here of saying, in fact, this is on our website this way under our leadership, that Jesus is the senior pastor of Revolution Church. I'm senior nothing, all right? I'm junior. And so Jesus is the one who determines the mission, and he gave us that in Matthew 18. And so spiritual development is what we're saying is growing people. The second one is family development, which is the same concept of spiritual development just for kids and students. This is why the mission of our Rev Kids and Rev Students is the exact same as the church, to love Jesus and grow kids, love Jesus and grow students. That's our mission. And then the third one we dealt with in March of generosity development, because the goal is not to raise money. The goal is to raise generous people. Because when we are generous, like God is generous, then that funds the mission to grow people, to grow kids, and to grow students. And so that is such an important objective. And then the last two, very simply, are artist development and leadership development. And so we're going to take this month of September and talk about artist development. We're going to look at a story in the Bible. So if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 16. All right, that's in the Old Testament. We've been in towards the end of the New Testament for the last several months. But now we're going to go back to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's the ninth book in your Bible. All right, so 1 and 2 Samuel. So 1 Samuel is right before 2 Samuel, just in case you're wondering. All right, so we're going to talk about how to discover, develop, and deploy artists and leaders. So the month of September, we're going to talk about artist development in this series, Works of Art. And then in October, we're going to talk about leadership development in a series called I See in You. And so over the next two months, we're going to hit these two objectives. And these are important objectives for us because if we accomplish these objectives of discovering, develop, and deploying artists and leaders, then we can accomplish the initiative to multiply, the command, our vision to multiply. And so as we jump into this, as always, let me pray and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you for who you are. And God, I pray today as we open up your word, as always, you would open up our hearts. You would open up our eyes, our ears to see and to hear, God, the truth that you have for us in it. Help me to be faithful to it, God, to communicate it in such a way that honors you and in such a way where the power is reliant upon your spirit. So we ask Holy Spirit now to help me to communicate it and help us all to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
First Samuel chapter 16. Today we're going to go from verse 1 to verse 13. Next week we'll hit the second half of the chapter, verse 14 to 23, I believe it is. And this is a story of how God anoints an artist. And I, I want to highlight that because I think a lot of times when we think about artists, a lot of us don't think of ourselves as creative. We don't think of ourselves as artistic. But here's the thing. When you were born, God created you. We know that because the Bible explains it to us like this. God is creative, and he created you in his image. He created you in his likeness, the Bible says. So if God is creative and you are created in his image, therefore you are creative. And all of us, when we were kids, were just naturally more creative and artistic. We just explored. We were imaginative. Little did you know this, but you were linguistic savants, all right? You, you just learned language. No one taught you how to do that. God just created you to do that. And somewhere along the way, we just quit being creative. Somewhere along the way, we started to be conformative. But, but I just want to highlight this point that a lot of us, again, don't think of ourselves as artists, but when you were a kid, you just naturally created and imagined. This last weekend, my family and I were camping. We love to go camping, and, and my daughter, who's eight years old, had her best friend in the world, Ansley Thads, our artist development pastor's daughter with us, and they had their scooters, and we were just around the campsite hanging out uh, on Sunday, you know, because it was Labor Day the next day, and, and I kind of watched them, and they were just kind of going from like, you know, spot to spot, and they would come back to ours, and I'd say, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, we're filling up gas. Well, your scooters aren't electric, like, they don't have motors, you know? Oh, no, this is the gas station. And then I quickly realized they had just imagined that. And this other uh, spot was, like, where Target was, and Best Buy, and Starbucks, and kind of, you know, then the, our friends who were with us, their spot was an, another gas station. And then I asked, hey, where's the church? And they just kind of looked at me like, oh, no, we've really messed up, you know? <laughs> so then the spot up, they, okay, that's where the church will be. And they would just kind of go back and forth. And they're eight years old, just loving life. Because that's what eight-year-olds do. It, it's just in them to see what is not there, right? To, to just imagine. But somewhere along the way, we go through puberty, right? And we get dumb and, and things happen and our brains changes and, and we start peer pressure and all that kind of stuff. So we start to conform and we're, we're far less creative. And, and what I just want to highlight out to you is this, is that God is not looking for people to conform to the pattern of the world. God is looking for people to be transformed and then by his spirit work to transform the world. And that requires creativity. It requires us taking the things that God created and forming and fashioning them and building them and skillfully pushing them forward into places to where God, through, this is what amazes me, through his power in us, he uses us to help create the future. And so we just want to highlight this fact that you may not think that you're an artist, and we'll get into this more in just a little bit. You may think of an artist as someone, you know, on our stage leading worship in skinny jeans and a low V-neck shirt with hair combed over, right? I mean, but, but come on, I'm on the stage, and this is as skinny as it gets, right? And these are elastic pants. Let's not even joke, all right? But, you, but I had to understand, and I was thinking about this last few weeks, even preaching is an art, and it's something that God can put in us and does put in us. 
But so often we fail to allow God to bring that out, or we're going to use the word discover. And I love this story in 1 Samuel 16, how God uses Samuel to discover and anoint an artist that God had appointed. So let's jump in. We're going to look, start in verse 1, and then I'll give you a little bit of context of the story. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, which is someone from Bethlehem, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Again, long story short, when God brought the nation of Israel out of bondage to Egypt over 400 years and takes them into the promised land, God gives them commands to move into the promised land and to exact his judgment on the people there. And so as that process happens, the nation of Israel moves on through Joshua. They take over most of the land, but they don't drive out all the nations. So some of the nations they make friends with, God gets upset about that because he knows that those nations are going to influence them to not follow God. And that's exactly what happened. And so you see in the book of 1 Samuel, again, you can go back and read this, where God is the king over his people. God is the king over his people, but his people don't want God as their king. They don't want a theocracy. That's what you had in the Bible. Not a democracy, a theocracy where it's God's kingdom and God is the king. They wanted more of a democracy, someone from themselves that they would appoint, that they would highlight to rule over them. They didn't want a God up there that was so authoritative and commanding them. They wanted somebody among them. And literally they said, so that we can be like the other nations. And so God says, all right, I'll give you what you want. And here's what you need to understand about God sometimes. Sometimes God doesn't give you what you ask for because it's against his will. But sometimes God will give you what you ask for, even though it's not what's best for you. You see this in Romans 1. The Bible says he gave man over to their wicked desires. Why does he do that? In hopes that we would repent. So sometimes God doesn't give you what you ask for because he knows that's not what's best for you. But then sometimes God does give you what you ask for to show you it ain't going to work either. So there may have been some things that you've asked for and God's like, all right, if you think you want that, go ahead, sucker. I'm not saying he would talk like that, right? But that's how I talk to my kids. But that's kind of the point. And so God says to the nation of Israel, oh, you want a king to rule over you? You don't want me? All right, here's a king. And they anoint Saul. Now, Saul, the Bible tells us, is literally the tallest dude in all of Israel. Because if you're going to get somebody to, get, to be a king, you want the tallest, right? You want the most handsome. You want the biggest. Literally, the Bible says he's head and shoulders above everybody. And the concept is, is his shoulders is at everybody's heads. So he was the one kid in the second grade photos like this, this, bam, right? Then everybody else. So it wasn't my sister's photo. My sister's tall. She's taller than me. And girls typically grow faster than boys in all kinds of ways, not just physically. And so I'll never forget in, in my sister's photos growing up, she was the tallest one there. And so that's kind of the concept. Saul was the tallest. He was the handsomest. And so naturally, that's who they would pick to be their king. And so they did. And so God has Samuel anoint him over Israel. Well, shocker, it doesn't go well. And Saul sins. And then Saul, or Samuel, God says to Samuel, I've rejected him. Now you're going to anoint a new king. And we know this new king is going to be David. 
But here's what's interesting, and I just want to point this out, and this applies to everybody, whether you think you're an artist or creative or not. I love the question that God asked Samuel. How long are you going to grieve over whom I've rejected? You know how often you and I don't step in to the present and the future that God has for us because we're still grieving over a past that he rejected? Now, I'm not talking about grief in a good sense. Like if someone close to you dies, the Bible talks a lot about grief and we should grieve. The Bible says grieve with those who grieve. And literally in biblical times, they would take off their clothes, rip them off, put on sackcloth and ashes and grieve and mourn for weeks on end. But this is not God, you know, kind of railing against the grieving process. This is God specifically saying to Samuel, why are you grieving over what I've rejected? And think about it like this. How many times in your life has God rejected a relationship, but you're still grieving over it? God has rejected, but but God, I thought she was the one for me. I thought he was the one for me. I thought this was the job for me. I thought this was the thing for me. And God says, I've rejected that. How long are you going to grieve over it? It's as if God is saying to Samuel, how long are you going to stay stuck on what I've rejected and miss what I've accepted? How long are you going to grieve over what I've cursed and miss on what I've blessed? You know how many Christians get stuck in the past over things that God rejected? Again, I've said this before. The reason why you and I still sin is not because we don't think it's wrong. Most times we know God has rejected it. We're just not ready to be done with it. So here's the point. You better reject what God rejects and you better accept what God accepts. And God has a plan and a future for you, and he wants to move you into a new future, but so often we get stuck in the past. And if there is one thing that I have noticed, churches are the worst at this. Churches are the worst. My pastor used to say, every church is on the cutting edge of some decade. (laughs) They might just be on the cutting edge of the 60s, right? And even in church world, and I'm not trying to you know, highlight this in a way to like point people out. I'm just trying to highlight what happens is God wants worshipers. And, and there's this thing that happened in the 90s in, in here in America where we had these things called worship wars and churches were fighting over worship styles. And this is what's so interesting to me. Worship, and I've said this before and I'll say it in this series, is our warfare. It's how we fight back. God always send out the worshipers first in battle. And so it's how we fight. And interestingly enough, Satan got us fighting over worship instead of fighting with worship. You know how many churches sat around and had fights about worship wars and colors of carpet? And here's the point. The point is not the style. And again, church world, you know it if you've ever been in it. The phrase is, well, this is the way we've always done it. As if that was a reason to do anything. See, every generation has to have its songs. Every generation has to have its worship. And yes, we should praise all generations' worships. And so sometimes we still do hymns. We did one here in Canton today. It was a little bit different than what you might have expected, but that doesn't make it wrong or bad. That just means it's creative. And so it's interesting to me how churches get stuck in a grieving process of things maybe God didn't reject, but God is no longer blessing. As Henry Blackaby said in his famous study that was amazing experience, God, you go where God is working. 
And so as churches, we've got to be on the lookout for what God is doing, not on what just he did. So I love how he asked Samuel this question. How long are you going to stay stuck here, man? I've provided for myself a new king. And I want you to go. You want to know the reason why so often we don't go? Why we stay stuck? It's not just because we're looking in the past, because we're afraid of the future. Fear is the opposite of faith. And God is calling Samuel into the future. He's calling him, he told him to fill up your horn with oil and go. I'll send you to this guy named Jesse. But look at Samuel's response, verse two. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, remember Saul's the current king, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. It's so encouraging to me that Samuel, who is a prophet, responds back to God so often how I do. How, God? See, this is how God works. You go back to Genesis chapter 12 and God called Abram at the time. And he said, leave your father's house and go to the land. And this is the phrase, I will show you. So God just said, get in there. Don't put a destination on your map. Just get on your car and start driving. I'll show you where you go. And here God tells Samuel, go to Jesse. And he goes, how? And his first response is, Saul will kill me. Saul's the current king. But here's where Samuel has forgotten his role. Samuel is the one who anointed Saul as the prophet of God. And so he is allowing Saul, man's authority, to usurp God's. And that's where fear comes from. So fear is the absence of faith. And I love God's response back, how he responds back to him. He doesn't tell him exactly how. He just says, I'll show you when we get there. I'll show you what to do. You just go, you take care of the going, I'll take care of the doing. Don't worry about how. What you need to worry about, Samuel, is why. Why? Why are you going? That's all you need to worry about, Samuel. Why am I sending you? Which God says in the next, or the same verse in the next slide here. Look at this. He says, and you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. I love that God is focusing on Samuel's question of how with a why. Samuel, I don't have to tell you how. All I have to tell you is why. Why do you not need to go? Because you need to anoint whom I declare. God's word translation says it like this. Anoint the one I point out to you. So the title of today's message, you know I like alliteration, is anoint the one whom I appoint. Anoint whom I appoint. And so God says back to Samuel, why? Because you got some anointing to do. Now, the concept of anointing, again, he tells, he tells him back in verse 1 to fill his horn up with oil. Now, the concept of oil in the Bible, sometimes people say it medicinal, and of course, there was some uses of that, but this is far more symbolic than it is medicinal. Oil was used, and, and Samuel did this, where he anoints on the king's head, and so literally would pour oil on his head. And the concept is, one, he's under submission, he's under the authority of God. 
God's making him a king, but he's not the king. The other one is it's symbolic of God's going to cover you. It's a sign of blessing. And so he says, why? Because you need to anoint the next king that I've appointed for myself. And that's the point. And I've got here on stage with me a little vial of oil. And I don't know if you've heard about uh, in Dalton, this Bible that is just miraculously producing oil. And David, our spiritual development pastor, was telling me about it a few weeks ago. And then he had a friend that had gone to see it and had gotten a little vial of it. And this last week, ironically enough, on the day that I was studying this passage, I was listening to David and Leanna on the radio on Victory 91.5. And this guy just happened to drive by their radio station that day, came in, brought them this vial of oil. And I told David, I was listening during that time in the morning as I was about to go study this and heard this. And then David said, well, I'm going to give this to you. And I said, I'm talking about anointing with oil this weekend. And so I have this here with me to symbolize the fact that as believers, our job in going is to anoint those whom God appoints to discover those whom God has called is another way to say it. And the reason why this is so important is because imagine if Samuel hadn't have obeyed. Imagine the entire story of Christ hinges upon him being in the lineage of David. In fact, the book of Matthew is written in such a way where David is the center pin and Jesus comes out of the line of David and David is the one whom God had called Samuel to go and anoint. Imagine if Samuel hadn't obeyed the rest of the Old Testament story, the entire New Testament story, the whole concept of Jesus as king. We would have totally missed if Samuel had given in to fear and hadn't followed God. So think about it like this. Have you ever placed your obedience in the context of how it will bless others? Let me say it to you like this. Who will miss out on God's anointing and blessing if you don't obey? See, so often we just put our obedience in context of relationship with us and God, and we look at God's commands as if they're burdensome, and God's saying, listen, you don't understand the future I have for you and for all those that I'm going to call and release and bless through you, and so this decision is way bigger than you. And, and I just want to highlight the point of just imagine if Samuel hadn't done what God commanded him to do because he got stuck in the past or he got stuck on the how. God just tells him the why. Why do we as a church need to be Samuels who are looking to anoint those whom God has appointed? You want to know why? Because that's the mission of the church. Go make disciples. That's the mission. You and I don't get to determine what the mission is. We just get to determine whether or not we're going to obey it. Now, I love how this process plays out. Look at verse six and seven. Samuel goes, and when he goes, he meets Jesse and all of his sons, and they roll up, and he sacrifices. And then verse six says, when they came, he looked at Eliab, this is the oldest son, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. I don't know, but don't call me Shirley, right? Verse seven, 
Those of you who don't know what that is, you were born in the wrong decade, all right? But the Lord said to Samuel, now listen to this, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Why would God say don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature? Because Saul was tall. I didn't even mean for that to rhyme. It's just it's the truth, right? I'm like Saul is tall. He's head and shoulders. He was tall, dark, and handsome. And so here's Jesse. His first son, Eliab, walks in and just imagine. And Samuel's like, surely, surely that's him. See, Samuel was still thinking in the mold of Saul. Samuel was still thinking in the mindset of the world. Surely this is the kind of leader we need. One who's tall. One who's handsome, who's boisterous. And God says, don't look at that. I've rejected him. Now look at the rest of verse seven. Four. Four. It's a purpose statement. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Man looks at the outward, but God looks at the inward. Here's what is so important when it comes to the principle of discovering artists and leaders, those that God wants to use in his kingdom. The principle is this. Don't judge the way the world judges. You know, we would say don't judge a book by its cover. We do that often, whether we want to or not. We size people up the moment we see them. Someone's taller, right? Someone has a certain look about them. Oh, surely. And God very quickly corrects Samuel and says, don't look like the world looks. Because the Lord doesn't see like that. The Lord can see past the exterior and into the interior. The Lord looks on the heart. So here's what's amazing. First Samuel chapter 13, you don't have to turn there and I don't have it on the screen. I'm just going to mention it to you. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, the Bible says this, the Lord or Samuel says this, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. You want to know why God is looking at the heart? Because he wants to know whether this man has a heart like God. And we know that David is described as a man after God's own heart. So here's the point. When it comes to discovering or being discovered, the point is not to take the traditional route and get yourself discovered by all these exterior things. But think about it like this. Even when it comes to not just being discovered artistically, but when it becomes being discovered friendship-wise or online, right? Or dating or romantic. We always put out the exterior but here's the problem. You can marry for looks, but you get character. Right? And looks fade, my friend. They fade. And strength fades and height fades. This is why I used to joke early on. There's no gang fights in nursing homes. They don't happen. And so God is instructing Samuel... Don't look the way everybody else looks. 
My friends, oh, if I could tell you something, not only don't grieve about what God has rejected, but when you look forward into the future God has for you, whether it's in a friendship, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a calling, you don't judge it by the outside. You look as best as you can into the inside and see their character. And that's what God is instructing Samuel. Don't look how everybody else looks, because when it comes to appointing somebody that I want you to anoint, what matters more than skill is spirit. What matters more than skill, that doesn't mean David wasn't skilled. We'll get into this next week. He was a skilled musician. But more than anything else, David had the right spirit. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine years ago, and we were talking about hiring staff, and he made such a great point. And he said, you know what, Jason? I don't mind pastoring people, but there's some people I don't hire because I would have to reparent them. So I don't got time to reparent somebody. I thought, man, what a great statement. And you want to know why you and I don't develop a spirit, a right heart? It's because we're so concerned about being discovered by man. I mean, just think about it. How much time do you spend on the exterior? How much time do you spend trying to get discovered? And what I love about this story is David's not worrying about getting discovered. David's just out in the field singing to the God he loves. Look at this, how the story goes on. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 10, and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Now listen to this. And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Jesse doesn't even mention his name. And when Samuel shows up, to consecrate all the sons, Jesse doesn't even invite his youngest in. Here's another thing I want to point out to you. Jesse failed to see or acknowledge the anointing on his own son. Jesse failed to see and acknowledge the anointing on his own son. When Samuel shows up and says, one of your sons is going to be a king, he doesn't even think of David. He's out with the sheep. But this is precisely why God wants David. You want to know why? Because David doesn't mind being out with the sheep. David doesn't mind being a shepherd. David doesn't mind singing to his God with the audience of the sheep. No one else knows about David, not even his own father, but God does. My friends, if you would listen to one thing, it is this. Quit spending all of your life trying to get discovered, and you just go out and sing with the sheep. You just go out and sing with the sheep, and you trust God. To have a Samuel come along and anoint what he's appointed in you. See, the reason why God chose David, because David wasn't seeing himself as the king. 
We know that. I mean, look, when he comes in, he says, and Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for he will, we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, which means red-skinned, a red hair. We don't know, but obviously he was out with the sheep, so he might have been a little sunburned. And he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. You want to know why God chose David? Because David had chosen God. David didn't mind if only the sheep had ever heard him sing because he knew his God heard him. He wrote over half the Psalms and the book of Psalms is a song book. It's a worship book in our Bible and David wrote over half of them and you can just imagine he was out in the fields with his sheep singing and writing those songs. And this is what I want to point out to you. The world doesn't see like the but God doesn't see like the world sees. I joked earlier, but you may think about artists as, again, just skinny jeans, low V-neck, you know, really pretty people that have the ability to be creative. That is just simply not the case. God has put eternity in the, men, in the hearts of men, David's son Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, which means God has put a longing in the hearts of people. And, and our job is to connect with the eternal God and to allow God to discover us and don't be so consumed whether or not if anybody beyond some simple sheep know our name. I think back on my own life, if you'll permit me just for a second to kind of identify with the story. In no way trying to highlight myself, but I just want to show you because I'm afraid some of you sometimes just look at my life from this vantage point and you don't know the backstory. But I didn't grow up in church knowing anything about God. I have said this over and over again, and I'll never forget when I was in the sixth grade, some friends of mine invited me to church and I heard about God as a father and I gave my life to him. And I thought everybody became a pastor. I didn't know. And so when I got saved, my life was his. What do you, I was a yes sir kind of guy. And in that moment, God changed my life, and I just fell in love with him. And I'll never forget, I was too young to go to the youth group, because back then you had to be in seventh grade, and I was in sixth grade. But I wanted to go, and my, the youth pastor at the time knew that, and he was doing this concert at the time with a guy named Rick Crawford. And you probably wouldn't even know who he was, a local guy in Texas. And again, this was right during that worship stuff of what was happening. So if you were going to do anything crazy, you had to do it in student ministry, all right? You couldn't do it in the church. And so he had this concert, and this guy sold tapes. Like, <laughs> crazy, right? And so I went to this concert of Rick Crawford. I bought this tape, and I would put it in my Walkman. And when I would mow grass... I would put my Walkman on with the headphones, the little phone things, which is probably, you know, like very infectious with diseases. And I would just mow my grass at, at my house and I would just sing at the top of my lungs to my God because I was so overjoyed that God had discovered me. And I'll never forget the story. One weekend, I believe it was a Saturday, my parents had invited David, our, uh, interestingly enough, our youth pastor and his wife over and I was in the backyard mowing the grass, and it was a pretty big backyard. And they come in, and my mom greets them at the door. And I kid you not, my youth pastor says, what is that noise? <laughs> what is that God-awful noise? And my mom, only like a mother's love could do, said, oh, that's Jason. He's out back mowing grass and singing to God. I didn't care. 
I just thought, since I had the headphones on and the mower was going, no one could hear me. And my mom and brothers and sisters, oh, we heard you. <laughs> but here's the crazy, I wouldn't mow it so fast to try to get it done. I was just being with Jesus, just mowing. And God took a 12-year-old whom, and I've told you this story before, when I was younger, I couldn't even hear correctly or speak correctly and made him into a preacher. And I'm not standing before you today because I've got the best skill. I'm standing before you today because at 12 years old, God gave me a new spirit and a heart. And so I'm not trying to highlight myself here. What I'm trying to say is this. This is what God does. Paul says in Corinthians, God takes the foolish things of the world and uses them to shame the wise. And God just took the biggest fool. But here's what I'm also saying to you. You keep singing with the sheep. You keep worshiping your God. And you don't wonder whether or not someone's ever going to discover you. Because if the God of all creation has discovered you, what else do you need? So let me say it to you like this. If you are not okay with singing it to the sheep, if that's not enough, it will never be enough for you in front of people. Never. Because here's what I've learned. You cannot lead people if you need them. If I needed you to stroke my ego every week and tell me how awesome and good I was, then I would have quit a long time ago. But I don't preach before you because I am wanting the applause of men. I am preaching before you now, just like I used to mow my grass and sing simply because I love God. And if he takes all this away, as much as I would hate for him to do it, I think I could honestly say to you, I would be okay. Because if my God knows me, I honestly don't care who else does. But here's why this is so important. Don't miss this. For the artist in our church, for those of you, and we'll get into skill next week, that have skills, I want you to understand something. Spirit has to always precede skill. If spirit doesn't precede skill, then God will conspire against you and use the very gifts that he gave you to show you that that's not enough for you. And so you got a lot of people with a lot of skill getting the praise of a lot of people and they're still empty on the inside. Why? Because only God can see the heart. Only God can get in to the spirit and the soul. But this also applies to everybody in our church. You may feel like everybody else has overlooked you. You may feel like no one else has recognized the anointing that God has on your life. And my counsel to you from the word of God is you just keep singing to the sheep and you trust the heart of your savior. I love that God anoints an artist who just loved him. Last verse, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. 
And the spirit, capital S, of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. First time we hear the word or the name David. And God, check this. And you'll, in chapter 17, we'll get into a few weeks. It's the story of David and Goliath. David's own brothers and David's own father didn't recognize the anointing that God had for him and just kept saying, why don't you go back out with the sheep, you little shepherd boy? But David had so much faith in God because out in the fields, he was allowing God to develop him. And the spirit of God rushed upon David and God anointed him in the midst of those who were criticizing him. What an amazing story of God discovering the worshipers that he wants to lead his people. And the same is true today. You may not think you're very artistically skilled, but you can still worship God. And we want to help I want you to hear me. As a church, we want to be Samuels and help anoint those that God has appointed. Help anoint those who worship the Lord in spirit and truth, as Jesus said. We want to be a church that discovers and develops and deploys artists and leaders so that their skill can bless the rest of us. So you worship God, don't worry about being discovered, and be a Samuel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you for discovering us. Thank you that you came to us We're not saved because we came to you. We're saved because you came to us. Literally, you left heaven and came down here. And God, all of us need so desperately for our heavenly father to discover us. Because there's a lot of us in here who like David have some deep father wounds because our parents and our family didn't acknowledge the anointing on our life. But God, help us to remember that the only approval we need is yours. The only person we need to discover us is you. because that is what our heart was made for. And so I pray for anybody in the house or listening or watching who has never trusted you, who's never been discovered by you, who's never been saved, I pray right now you'd save them. And they would trust you in faith. And your spirit would come upon them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. But there's never been a point in time in your life where you've trusted Jesus and been saved. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be discovered by him.
to trust him. And the promise of the gospel is this. If you come to God, you will finally find rest for your soul. God will save you and give you a new spirit. So if you want to trust him, I'm going to ask you to pray with me to yourself. Not out loud. And it goes like this. Say, God, thank you for loving me. I recognize that I need you to save me. I ask you to save me, forgive me. In faith, I trust Jesus. Thank you for discovering me, for loving me, for coming after me. I give you my life. You had nobody looking around or talking. If you just prayed that for the first time, very simply, I want you to just simply lift your hand up so we can see that. Thank you. We've got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put it down. But then those of us, and we do this every week, but I want to highlight it. Those of us who would say we've trusted Jesus, I just want to speak to you for a second. Don't miss the message today that if God is not enough for you, nothing will ever be enough. And so today, allow God to work on your heart in such a way that you can get to this place that says, God, if no one else knows my name, I'm okay because you know me. And you focus way more on developing the inward part of you, your soul, than you do the outward. And you just trust God to send a Samuel along to anoint what God has appointed in you. God has not only saved you, but he has called you and appointed you to join him to go on this mission so you have a part to play. All of us do. But don't ever think that your part is insignificant. Don't ever think that your part is not as good as the others because the point is not being recognized by men. The point is being discovered and developed by God. And God will bless you for the gifts that he gave you and the anointing that he gave you, not based upon someone else's. So you just worship God in a field. You sing with the sheep, with all you got, and you trust God with the results. Father, would you move in our midst today? Thank you for loving us, for saving us, for calling us, for equipping us, for developing us, for sending people in our life to anoint us. And God, I pray that we would be that kind of church, that we would anoint the, the right kind of people, not people just who have skill but don't have spirit, but people who have your spirit, who, yes, are willing to be developed in their skill, but in their spirit, they just love you. They don't want to be in leadership because of what it says about them. They want to be in leadership because of what it says about you. 
So thank you for taking a fool like me and allowing me the privilege to bless others. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.